Rinkwad Vancouver, pregame, postgame, every game presented by Bodog from sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you with another summer edition of the podcast as it's gorgeous outside, J-Pat. It's been a beautiful summer. Hope you're getting out on the links. I know, of course, you enjoyed some time there in San Diego. I was down in Seattle myself, was able to catch uh, one of those games of the uh, the three games between the, the Jays and, and the Mariners. Not sure how it finished off that series, but, you know, I sort of put that one out of my brain but uh, a good time nonetheless down in Seattle and of course always a great time uh, when the Mariners and Blue Jays face off against one another but a little bit of news today Jay Pat and I think we can reflect this onto the Vancouver Canucks as well Sebastian Ajo signs an eight-year 78 million dollar extension with the Carolina Hurricanes an AAV of 9.75 when you look at the two Sebastian Ajo just a year older than Elias Pettersson there's some comparables there however I think you would be running to uh, Central... Is it Central Registry? Where, where do you sign your contracts uh, to be able to get Elias Pettersson at eight years under $10 million? Yeah, I think what this Ajo deal does is set a baseline now. It's probably the newest and best comparable for a while there. Matt Barzell at just over $9 million was considered a comparable. And again, a comparable is just a you know a starting point and a framework. But Barzell, I think, is at nine one three, Ajo up to 9.75. And I think what this deal does... It tells you that Elias Patterson's starting in double digits in terms of millions of dollars. Like I, I, I just don't see it. He, he's a better player than Sebastian Ajo. Now, Ajo has had a couple of 80-plus point seasons. Patterson's only had one. But if you look at individual season highs, this career year so far for Elias Patterson, 39 goals and 102 points. Uh, the goal total, the point total, both higher than anything that Ajo has had in seven full years in the National Hockey League. And point per game is always a huge one that's used in negotiations. And Sebastian Ajo, basically at 0.9 points per game, has played more in the NHL, uh, but hasn't produced at the same rate as Elias Pettersson, who is basically a point-a-game guy with 323 points in 325 regular season games. So Pettersson almost at a you know 1.0 point per game and, and Ajo at 0.9. So there's a gap there, and that matters, and certainly the Pettersson camp uh, would use that. So uh, I, I think you're right. Like Anybody that hoped that the Pettersson deal could somehow squeeze in under 10 million bucks, I think this is an indication now that if that's the starting point for negotiation, if that's the baseline that, all right, here's Sebastian Ajo, very good player at 26 years of age. In fact, 26th birthday. That's a pretty nice birthday gift to get a $78 million sure. uh, commitment from your hockey club. But at, at that contract, like, I don't think that's available uh, in the eyes of Elias Pettersson. I think he's thinking, I'm a better player. I'm going to be asking for more, plus the salary cap we know is going up now. The Ajo camp knew that as well. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, for the Canucks, and I wrote a, a bit about it at uh, the Hockey News, um, you know, I, I think 10.5 per season over eight years is probably the best the Canucks could do. If they could get the Pedersen camp to agree to that, then I think the Canucks should probably run and sign off on that kind of contract because I think it only goes up from there. The other thing to keep in mind is that Ajo negotiating off this past year, his platform year, he only had 67 points. Elias Pettersson had 102. Like, that's a sizable gap there. Um, 
And I just think there's, you know, more top-end potential for... Uh, Elias Pettersson was 7th in Selkie voting, and Aho was somewhere close to 40, I think, as well. So, you know, it's not all about points, even though those are used as uh, big-time weapons in negotiations. I think the fact that Pettersson is rounding out his defensive game as well. The one thing that Aho has that Pettersson doesn't is a pretty extensive playoff body of work. And, uh, I mean, we all want to see Elias Pettersson add to his playoff experience, but... Aho has been there five, I think he's five appearances in the playoffs and close to a point a game guy in the postseason. The one thing that Aho doesn't have, though, like it's been real consistency. If you look year in, year out at his playoff totals, always hovering around a point a game in the playoffs, but he hasn't had that one breakout year where he has put the Hurricanes on his back and, you know, really kind of made a name for himself. So, I, I think there are still some questions about Sebastian Ajo and what is top end for him. Like, is there more than the 80 points that he's produced a couple of times? And we know with Elias Pettersson, 102, I don't think anybody would be surprised if Petey gets back to the 100-point mark this year and, you know, for a bunch of years to come. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is one of the shoes that I think everybody in the hockey world was waiting to drop. But Austin Matthews uh, is another one. Elias Pettersson is not at Austin Matthews level. Hasn't scored like Austin Matthews. Hasn't had playoff appearances like Austin Matthews. I think Austin Matthews is in a separate camp uh, at a higher rate, and we'll see how those negotiations go, but we now know where Sebastian Ajo comes in, and I think uh, that is definitely a comparable and a baseline for Elias Pettersson and his agents to work off of. Yeah, pretty tidy salary cap if you look at the Carolina Hurricanes as well. Aho topping out at 9.75, being the highest paid player on the team. But, you know, you've got Svechnikov line, uh, signed up for uh, many years at 7.75. And uh, their highest paid defenseman right now is Dmitry Orloff, who at 7.75 as well. But it was just a couple of year deal there. So, yeah, tidy piece of business there from the Carolina Hurricanes. But, I mean, that's the way you got to do things when it comes to the salary cap around the NHL. And then, of course, you look at uh, you know contracts like Jalen Brown signed in the NBA <laughs> today. He's going to make $60 million a season. Yeah. Sebastian Ajo gets 78 over five or over eight. That's incredible numbers there. But, yeah, when it comes to Elias Patterson, really interesting, interested to see how the negotiation goes here and really what kind of hardball – Pedersen's camp plays because they could play a ridiculous game if they wanted to, you know, and when we, when you consider how important he is to the Vancouver Canucks, like he could hold them to a max if he wanted to. Now they'll probably say no, but he could, like he could play some, and, and you talk about the money that Austin Matthews would get. Yeah. I think Matthews will get more, but will it be that far off in terms of importance of what PD is to the Canucks with Matthews? And well, it's well? funny because you use the NBA as an example like, so I looked, there are only eight players in the NHL heading into this next season whose average annual value of their contract starts with an 11, and then there are a couple of 12s. But uh, McDavid and McKinnon, I mean, they're in a separate category. Elias Pettersson can't use those guys as comparables. They're, they've established themselves. But of those eight that are either starting with an 11 or a 12, three of them are defensemen. So there's only five forwards. Uh, Tavares got his deal. Uh, Artemi Panarin is up there as well. I think people forget sometimes that he's one of the highest paid players in the National Hockey League. Uh, but yeah, like it just shows you that, you know, in the NBA, they're throwing money around left and right. There are eight guys in the National Hockey League, like the top eight, maybe not the best eight, but the top eight salaries. And this is, got, there are a few salaries, annual salaries that are higher, but on, you know, the average, the cap hit, essentially, uh, the number that matters the most. 
there's eight guys that are making either 11 or 12 million bucks. So yes, hockey has lagged behind without a doubt, but it also shows you like if Elias Pettersson thinks that he's an $11 million guy, like that is a rarefied error in the National Hockey League. And that's why I think, you know, when all is said and done, I think his new deal will start with a 10, but I think it'll be in the, the high, you know, mid to high 10s. Like I, I think 10 and a half to maybe 10 and, and That's the quarters. ridiculous part of the NHL, though, is that you literally have to take less money to be able to help everybody else. Whereas in the NBA, it's yeah. just structured that way. Now, don't get me wrong. We can go into a much deeper conversation about all of this and yep. the way that their television deal is and all of that makes the NBA just completely flush when it comes to money. But it is. It, it's in terms of the players, like, you know, why? You know, if you are Elias Pettersson, you could go and say, listen, Max steal i want a max like that's how important i am to you guys you know see who bluffs first he won't though of course he won't so uh, interesting to see though exactly what number it does come in i'm with you though uh, it's not going to be under 10 million dollars when it comes to elias Pettersson's next contract all right so we were looking at the schedule and we sort of teased this on last podcast just when we we're going to dive into the schedule find some flashpoints find some anticipated home games that we're looking at I've also got a line for you that I want to get to a little bit later on here in the podcast. See if you agree with my home win total for the Canucks in terms of where I'm going to set Mm, the line. We did talk to uh, some of the fans on Twitter asking them about what they got circled on the calendar. We'll get to that too, but just some flashpoints and I'll, and I'll let you uh, start things off uh, with the Canucks schedule. You know, what sort of jumps off the page right away to you? Well, yeah. And let me just preface this by saying, and I think I did in the last pod as well, that, you know, it's crazy that the schedule comes out the day before the draft. Like, you know, we're all looking ahead to free agency, the draft. There's so much going on. Like, it would be so much better if the schedule was released in the middle of July and give us, you know, fresh material to work with. So we really didn't get a chance to dive all in on the schedule and some of the things that jump out at me. And I, I, I don't know, I always love looking at the schedule. Every team plays 41 at home and 41 on the road. So, you know, every team's going to have quirks and stretches that are difficult, but... When I looked at the Canucks, and we all know how important the start to the season is, I I guess I was floored that they're opening at home and then right out on the road for five in a row. And they start with 13 of their first 22 away from Rogers Arena. So, you know, Travis Green, two years ago, Bruce Boudreaux last year, now it's Rick Tockett. And here are the Canucks starting with these road trips. I mean, Travis Green's final season, they had that six-gamer, included the first-ever home game for the Seattle Kraken. Last year, Bruce Boudreaux, they started in Edmonton and worked from there, and we know that they didn't win until the eighth game of the season. I kind of thought, with all of that as a backdrop, that management would go to the league and say, like, we have to start with a few more at home somehow, some way. Now, they are starting at home for the first time in five years. But they're also starting at home against Connor McDavid and the Oilers in the best power play <laughs> in the National <laughs> Hockey League uh, for a team that couldn't kill penalties to save its life, but did address some of that in free agency. So uh, home and home with the Oilers to open, like, that's tough. McDavid had a hat-trick against them on opening night last year. Uh, in fact, they see McDavid, if he's healthy, three times in their first 12 games. Like, that's biting off an awful lot. You know, like, the, the math just tells you that one of those games, he's going to go off, right? Like, he might all three, but certainly, at, at the very least, one of those three, McDavid's going to have a huge night where he probably single-handedly wins a hockey game for, for the Edmonton Oilers. So, uh, you know, that opening road trip, you know, they get as far as Tampa and Florida. So, like, there's a lot of travel in the early going. Now, you know, you could spin it a couple of ways. Like, Florida, you know, 
there were some injuries coming off that Stanley Cup final, like Ekblad, Montour, uh, Matthew Kachuk. There was some question about, uh, you know, who's like, maybe that's a good time to knock off a game against the Florida Panthers if they're not fully healthy. OEL, uh, the big reunion matchup against Oliver Ekman Larson and the, and the Florida Panthers. But yeah, I just think overall, um, you know, one at home and five on the road, and then 13 of the first 22 away from Rogers Arena for a team that has got off to shitty starts here the last bunch of years. Like, that's a real slap in the face to them. And, uh, you know, they have to survive. Like, they, they have no choice. They've, they've got to find a way to find wins out on the road and maintain a relevancy because, you know, they've got this nine-game homestand in March that, like, fine, I guess. But the challenge is to make that matter, to mean anything. Like, you know, if they're hanging around the playoff chase, yeah, nine in a row at home. But even at that, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of super long home stands. Like, I just... It's too yeah, much. Like, I, yeah, like, I find players' yeah. minds start to wander, and they're creatures of habit. They're used to getting back out of the road and, you know, packing a bag and, and going. Nine in a row, like, it's funny. I, you, you don't see it in hockey very often when you have these long home stands that teams run the table or, you know, go 7-1-1 one, and one kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, on paper, it's great that you got this nine-game home stand sort of the back end of the schedule, but... A, you got to make it to the point that those games matter. And then once you do, you have to take advantage of all that. And before then, a seven-game road trip in January. February has a stretch of eight and ten out on the road. So uh, I don't know. I don't think this is an ideal schedule for the Vancouver Canucks. But I really do want to take stock of where they are at the 22-game mark when 13 of those first 22 have been played away from home. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that you just rattled off, I have in my notes as well. (laughs) Uh, November 22nd is game 20. At Colorado, you know, where they're going to be in the standings. Of course, that's right around U.S. Thanksgiving. I believe it's, I think it's the next day, actually, uh, down in the States. So, yeah, that's definitely going to be a flashpoint. I got that seven-game road trip circled as well. One thing that you didn't mention there, though, and, of course, you know, they do have to do the Tampa-Florida uh, trip early on in the season. We'll see if OEL's in the lineup even for the Fight Panthers. We'll have to see there. But they do avoid the Carolina-Tampa-Florida gauntlet that has been a tough one to run mm. over the last few years. They don't have all three of them uh, in that uh, at any point on a road trip this year uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. But yeah, uh, big time starts. You got to get off to a good start here. The importance of that. But as you mentioned, you know, all those road games to start things off, I mean, it, listen, it's it's going to be tough for the Canucks. They cannot afford to stumble like they have in years past. You know, and it's funny, like when the schedule came out, I was looking and noted the long homestand and the long road trip and everything else. And then a couple of weeks ago, the NHL came out with this sort of facts and figures sheet about the schedule and some of the things that, you know, to look for. And I didn't know it at the time because I hadn't gone through every team. But, and this has to be a bit of a statistical oddity that doesn't happen every year. The Canucks have the longest homestand in the National Hockey League, and they also have the longest road trip in the National Hockey League. And I guess it stands to reason if you're going to have nine in a row at home, you're going to be playing, you know, uh, some stretches away from home. Montreal also has a seven-game road trip, but Montreal's is broken up by the Christmas break. And so they go out for three. I think they do like Winnipeg, Minnesota, and Chicago. Then they go home. And then after Christmas, they start out with four in the Eastern Conference. So it's really two separate road trips. The Canucks are the only team in the league that, you know, 
they pack a big bag and see you in seven games. And that's uh, in early January, starts in St. Louis and then moves on to, you know, the New York area teams. And so uh, that's, you know, that New York triangle now with the Devils, the way that they're playing and the Rangers and the Islanders, um, you know, that's going to be a difficult stretch for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the rest of that road trip, uh, it, as I said, it takes them to uh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and then it finishes up in Columbus. So uh, Buffalo's not an easy opponent anymore. Pittsburgh, who knows what the Penguins are going to look like. And, you know, at the tail end of a seven game, I don't care who you're playing, even if it, you know, you play the last place team and Columbus might be the last, who knows. But at the end of a seven game road trip, like guys are going to be lagging. There's be some fatigue. You wonder about injuries and all that kind of stuff. Like even the seventh game of a seven game road trip is difficult, uh, no matter who you're playing. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, uh, remember last year, I mean, that was the downfall for Bruce Boudreau. That was that, you know, the gauntlet that you mentioned, but there was a stretch of, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it was the 12-game gauntlet that we certainly charted, and they went 2-10, and, and 10, and that was the middle of January, and ultimately led to Bruce's dismissal, and in comes Rick Tockett. So, um, you know, Tockett's not going into this blindly. I'm sure he has poured over the schedule and looked at some of the things. And as we said, every team at the end of the year, you add it all up and they're playing the same amount of games. So you can't use the schedule as an excuse, but there are certainly stretches within that schedule uh, that throw you some challenges. And the other thing, too, for a team that was dead last in penalty killing in the National Hockey League last season, and you have to believe that they're going to be better, but who knows how much better. Nine of the first 14 games are against teams that had top 10 power plays in the NHL last year. And that includes those three against the Oilers. And the Oilers' power play worked at 32.4%. You know, early on, they see Toronto, they see Dallas, they see Ottawa, they see the Rangers. Like, there's a ton of firepower there. So, um be interesting to see how how much time they put in on the penalty kill at training camp. You know, what does it look like in preseason? We should get a pretty good look, I would think, at, you know, who they're going to use and in what formations and those types of things. And man, that penalty kill that was uh, atrocious for much of last year, it has to be dialed in from game one. Where do you think the Canucks power play is going to be at next year, though? You know, they finished 11th last year, 22.7. You know, that's got to be a weapon for the Canucks this year, right? Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Jason King didn't uh, survive, so the guy that's overseen the power play, and it's been a really good power play for the last bunch of years. Uh, but Horvat, you know, once they traded him away, it was never really the same, and, and obviously that makes sense, uh, but they couldn't replace him. Like Anthony Beauvillier, they tried him, just moved him right into the Horvat spot in the bumper. I think he ended up scoring three power play goals uh, after the trade. He wasn't the answer as the trigger guy, and now, you know, Jason King isn't here, so do they totally revamp the power play. I think Rick Tockett is going to be the guy that's overseeing it, but you got Sergei Gonchar on board. you got the Sedins involved, uh, Yogi Svekovsky. Uh, Tockett's talked about empowering the leadership group. I would think that the voices of Pedersen and Hughes and Miller will, you know, hold some some sway as well. But, you know, they've liked Hughes at the top, Miller on the side, left shot in the bumper, and then that leaves Pedersen over on the right side as more of a decoy because we know he only scored the six power play goals last year. I want him to have the puck more. I want him to be closer to the net. I'd almost like to see him move to the left side where Miller was, move Miller to the bumper. And then you have still the lefty-lefty connection. Or maybe you move Quinn Hughes over to the sideboards. It's not conventional, but, I mean, a great playmaker, obviously. 
uh, doesn't score from the top with a you know, bomb. So in some ways, you know, he, he's not needed to be at the top. We're not talking about Shea Weber uh, up there. So I, I'm really curious. I don't know how they're going to set up, but that definitely one of the things that I'm going to be watching uh, from the first day of training camp, and I'm sure they'll put some special teams time in. Uh, you know, the component parts are there to have a good power play. Kuzmenko, um, you know, where does Brock Besser slot in? Again, he's a right shot, and that's just not been the way that they've operated with, you know, more than one right shot guy. Now, if you had Besser in the middle, you know, maybe Pedersen on that right flank could feed some pucks into the middle for Besser, but... I just, I don't think that's the way that they're going to go. So, um, yeah, I mean, the pieces are there, the players, the skill level, all that kind of stuff that the power play should be reasonably good again. I just don't know what it's going to look like in the way that they're going to line up. If you're Brock Besser, you want to get yourself onto that top power play unit. Obviously, you want to have yourself a rebound season. You want to prove that you are a legit goal scorer in this league. Where do you think, if you were Brock Besser, if you could climb into that head of Brock Besser's there with that gorgeous hair that he's got there. It's uh, it's quite remarkable. But, you know, what do you think he would want? Where where do you think he would think he could be the most lethal on that power play? You know, all his years in the league, like his hair has never had a slump. It's amazing. It's amazing. Every year. Every single year it leads the league. He's got 30 goal scoring hair. That much yes. for he's sure. He's got 60 goal scoring yeah, hair. Fair, Come fair on. enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I think he would probably pencil himself in as the net front guy yeah, that's on the first too. unit. Yeah. But how do you argue against Kuzmenko and what he accomplished there? Uh, and, and I, I'm a little concerned for Brock. I mean, we all talk about this 30-goal season. I don't know that he's going to be on the top unit. I don't know what they're going to do. Again, I, 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 Beauvillier doesn't seem like the answer, so maybe Besser does get an opportunity somehow. Needs to use one of those like two-way sticks or maybe just a flat like yeah you know, the straight blade the paddle. <laughs> uh, yeah because again i think the right shot the way that they have lined up in the past that kind of works against him uh if he's going to be the bumper guy um and so you know i think he can be effective at the net front but it, so can kuzmenko and in fact kuzmenko probably more so and so i just wonder does besser get bumped to the second unit and then what does the second unit look like because I think Philip Ronick probably gets the chance of the point. Um, they don't have a center. Like if Teddy Bluger is their third oh, center, <laughs> Bluger has never he has never picked up a power play point in the National Hockey League. Never. Now, no. Now he played in Pittsburgh yeah. and Vegas. I don't think he saw a lot of power play time, but still, like he was a second round pick. Like I would have thought somewhere along the Due line, to he injury or something. You know, found, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he has never had wow. a power play point, let alone a power play goal. Um, so. You know, does he see no. power play time? <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but but you know, they load up that top unit. Best case scenario is the they don't need a second unit. The first yeah. unit has all sorts, well, of which success. has kind of been the case for them over the last few years as well, right? Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't like you know, McKayev, I guess would be yeah. on the second unit. Garland could be on the second yeah. unit. Um, but it's a bit of a patchwork, and with no natural center, which means that they probably don't start a lot of you know, face-offs that they'd be changing on the fly, which they generally do. But if there is a face-off mid-power play, you know, does somebody have to stay out to take the draw? Does Bluger get a power play? Like, does he get a chance to take a face-off and then get off the ice? Or, you know, how do you... I, I don't know. Again, we'll see how that works. But it's another area where you'd like a third-line center that thinks some offense and could be, you know, sort of the guy on the second unit power play. But they just don't have that piece 
uh, in their arsenal right now. Okay, so we did ask the fans what uh, games they got circled on their calendar uh, for this year. A lot of people are sort of just relating it to themselves and the games that they're going to show up to. Uh, we have uh, one guy saying, uh, A Life Concussed is his name on Twitter, an interesting handle, saying, Coming up from Texas for the uh, Flames and Habs in March. Ernest says the first 10 games. Now, Ernest is very smart. Love the replies that we get, and he's right. Because those first 10 games are going to be crucial. John says game 83. <laughs> See what he did there? I do. Uh, Pavel Burre's flow says Bedard's first game here. And we'll get to that because that's uh, on my list of uh, anticipated home games. And then we've got uh, a disgruntled hard hat Harry oh. who says Toronto at van. So I can bitch about how much I hate catering to Toronto fans. Start time <laughs> should be 7 p.m. Pacific and the viewers out east can go blank themselves. Holy hard hat Harry feels really, really passionate about that four o'clock start. Harry, it's a Saturday though. It's a Saturday. You get to have a Saturday night. So just saying that we've had this discussion many, many times. So maybe, you know, you can just go out on a Saturday night and and enjoy yourself. Can I pencil in game 83 right now? Is that? uh, Well, pencil. Pencil. Yes. Definitely not Sharpie. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. All right, let's get to our most anticipated home games that we've got this season. But listen, JPAT, if you need a car to drive <laughs> to a home game, let me recommend the good folks at the Applewood Auto Group. Check them out, applewood.ca, because, J-Pad, it's all good. At Applewood, now, the problem with driving games is the parking. You may have the most luxurious ride, but I don't know. Applewood think, can't help you nah, with that. they can't help you yeah, with Yeah, the they can't help you with that. But we can help you with uh, some of the home games that we've got circled on the calendar. If you don't mind, I'd like to begin, and I think you can call me Captain Obvious for this one. You already tipped your hand a little bit. A little bit. But Leafs are in town January 20th. And as we mentioned, Hard Hat Harry's pissed off because it's a four o'clock start, even though you get to have a Saturday night, Hard Hat Harry. So that's Saturday, January 20th. And that's always a big game, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it's followed by Connor Bedard. Okay, there you go. That first game, Monday, January 22nd. I mean, how how about that? If you've got a weekend where you're coming into town, you want to check out a couple of Canucks games, those are two of the best that you can get at home this season. Yeah, and it should be noted that that's the only visit by the Blackhawks this year. So Bedard's rookie season in the National Hockey League, you know, he will have three months under his belt. We'll have a pretty good read on how he's adapting to life in the best league in the world. 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you. That one certainly uh, got my attention, but also it's not like, oh, if you don't see him on the 22nd of January, you can catch him later. No, not this year. Uh, one and done. So that's going to be a big, big deal. Well, hold on. What about the playoffs? Canucks could face the Black... No? No? Uh, I'm not no. Uh, buying right. what you're selling there. Right, but right. Uh, uh, Although, hey, if it happened, I'd... Uh, a playoffs, yeah, a playoff series. Bedard is a rookie. All that kind of stuff. Sure, I'd be down with that. But yeah, like I, I, I mean, there's just going to be so much hype around that game, and this is a guy that has lived up to expectations at every level. So would not be the least bit surprised if uh, the Blackhawks rolled into town, even if they suck as a team. Uh, I would still expect that he'd put on a pretty good show that night for the fans. I got Tuesday, December 5th versus the Devils. <laughs> it's yeah. a Tuesday night with New Jersey in town. <laughs> Why is that significant? Well, it's the Hughes Bowl. The ultimate Hughes Bowl this time around as well. All three of the Hughes brothers are going to be in that game. Well, hopefully in that game. Right, for the first time in their careers. Yep. Because Quinn has not seen Luke, who made his NHL debut late last season. Of And, and that by itself, a visit from the Devils and the Hughes brothers would make pretty good storylines. And then the Devils went out and hired Travis Green, who comes back to town on the two-year anniversary of the day that he was fired by the Vancouver Canucks. It's just wild the way that it worked that way. He was let go on December the 5th uh, of 2021, and here on December 5th, 2023, uh, Travis Green returns the, uh, you know, the grudge match, if you will. And look, he's found, you know, not a head coaching gig, but he's found himself a pretty sweet landing spot with a really good hockey club that plays, you know, that up-tempo style. So, you know, Travis's return will be a subplot to what'll be a real challenge for the Vancouver Canucks because the Devils, uh, they've got designs on, you know, a good long Stanley Cup playoff run next year. Just more drama on that game. A Tuesday night in December with the Devils in town. Who knew? All right, Wednesday, November 15th is an obvious one as well. That's when the Islanders are in town. So, of course, it'll be Bo Horvat's return uh, to Vancouver. Looking forward to that one. And then I've got this circled as well. And it's not necessarily just home games, but there is a stretch of them in there. The 12-game stretch between March 23rd and the end of the season at April 18th. All games against Western opponents, mostly against Pac Division. Seven games in that stretch are at home. And to me, if the Canucks are going to be in any sort of playoff hunt, that 12-game stretch there will determine whether they get in in or out, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, let's hope. I, I mean, I hope that those games matter. We always talk about game, meaningful games in March. Um, it's set up that way. But again, they've got to make sure that those games matter. Uh, by holding their own in the first, whatever it is, 60 games of the season. So, you know, the games that you had, uh, Leafs game notwithstanding, although the Leafs, are, it's always an event and it's always fun. Um, Come on. But the other the ones love that no, game. I, and, and I'm with you. I mean, the Horvat return is going to be wild. Uh, the build up there, the reception. Um, I had the Travis Green night. I had Bedard. You know, a couple others for me, Roberto Luongo, the Ring of Honor, when the Florida Ooh, Panthers right. come to town on yes. December 14th. And... Uh, you know, Lou's been celebrated several times, the Hall of Fame, and the first game back after, uh, you know, he was traded back to Florida. Fans have shown their appreciation, but this will be another opportunity, and to see him take his spot up there in the Ring of Honor will be pretty cool. So that's happening on December 14th. Uh, Seattle only comes to town once this year, and that's on November 18th. So uh, the way it works with the schedule... Um, yeah, you play a couple of teams in your division only three times, and of those teams, uh, Seattle's one of those teams. Where they're in Seattle twice, but only once here. So, you know, as you try to build this rivalry... League's got to help you out a bit here, no? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. So, I mean, the season that the Kraken had, 
you know, I think hopefully every time now that those games take on a little bit more significance and heft and just, you know, every game is sort of a building block in that rivalry. It's not where it ultimately needs to be yet. But uh, yeah, November 18th for Seattle. And Colorado is a team that only comes to town once. And you know me and Nathan McKinnon can't get enough of watching him in person. Yeah. Uh, March 13th. So pretty late in the season for the one and only visit from the Colorado Avalanche. And the other thing with Edmonton starting against Edmonton, three of the first 12, like that's it. Two of those games were in Vancouver. McDavid is not in Vancouver after I think it's November the 5th. So uh, if you're trying to get a ticket to see Connor McDavid in person, uh, it has to happen early. Otherwise, he's not back unless uh, there is some sort of postseason matchup. Yeah, so I was looking at that as well. They do have the Oilers at the end of the schedule on April 13th, but it's in Edmonton in that one. So, yeah, if you want to see McDavid, get on it. And uh, if you need a renewal or perhaps you need a mortgage, you should check out our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Yeah, speaking of renewals, as we kind of uh, renew our interest in the Vancouver Canucks schedule that was released uh, around the draft, uh, lots of people with uh, expiring mortgages, and hopefully you're not waiting at the last minute because it's not the kind of thing that you want to do uh, up against it. So, you know, pr- plenty of planning, get out in front and get the help of a mortgage pro like Jason Hominick. Now, we always tell you, you know, if you're in the home buying market, but Jason also does commercial mortgages as well. So, you know, if you're a business owner and you're thinking about buying the building that you're in, uh, yeah, this isn't just homes that he deals with. He covers the gamut. He's there to help. It all starts with a conversation. We always tell you that he's a huge hockey nut. So uh, even in the middle of summer, you could probably spark a conversation around hockey. You guys can pick which games you'd want to go to. Maybe you take Jason to a game as part of a business outing. I'm putting the master plan together here. Jason's liking this right now. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it starts with a phone call. Check him out on his website, jason.mortgage. Yeah, that's it. Jason.mortgage is the website. All his contact info is there. Starts with a phone call. Uh, Do yourself a favor and make that call. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog Sports Odds, Poker Tips, and Free Casino Games. It's time to play, and I've got some Bodog. I got one Bodog line for you, and then I've got one that I've created, and I'm going to talk to the people at Bodog, perhaps see if we can get this uh, as something that the people can bet. But Connor Bedard, total goals over under. J-Pat, what do you think they set it at? Um, I'm going to say that the number is like 32 and a half. Close. 31 and a half. Now it's either way at minus 115. That's where the total goals uh, go to in terms of the betting odds for every player that's out there. Me hammering the over, hammering it. I think Connor Bedard is going to be a point per game player. I think he's going to score close to 40 next year. Well, and I think I said this earlier, like this guy's just, he's achieved at every level. 
And the idea of betting against him just seems foolish. Until you have evidence that supports it, I think you just you bet with this guy and think that, yes, he's going to come through. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like that. I mean, even if the line was closer to 35, I think I might be uh, still taking the over. But uh, at 31 and a half, yeah, absolutely take the over there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even if it was at like 39 and a half, I might take it. <laughs> I think he's going to be a point. I see people talking about what his first season is going to be like. Some people predicting somewhere in the high 60s and points. Get out of here. Like you said, this guy has dominated at every single level that he's been at. I see him point a game player in the NHL, and then after that, who knows? Sky's the limit for this a young kid. Local product at that as well. All right, setting the line, and this is my line, for home wins next year, J-Pat, with the Vancouver Canucks. Last year, 19 wins at home. The year before that, 20. But right now, I'm setting the line at 19 and a half. What do you think? Well, if they're going to be a playoff team, it has to be over. Um, just the math to me tells you, you know, you'd like to be a 500 team at home or on the road rather, and then try and make some hay there. Um, but 19 home wins, boy, the math gets tough in a hurry. So I hear you. Um, I, I think I'm going to take the over. I don't, you know, it's hard. Are they a playoff team? Like, do you think, you know what I mean? Cause like, no, that's, and that's the question. And they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but I would think if they're going to be a playoff team, they probably have to be in the 24 or 25 Ooh. range for home yeah. wins and then take your chances and try to get 20 road wins. And, you know, the math I think adds up around there. If you got 24, you know, now you're looking at 44 wins, that's 88 and then some OTLs. And that probably gets you pretty close to the playoff bar, whatever it's going to be. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at the math there. 24 home wins is a number, but that's asking a lot for a team that, you know, has disappointed. I mean, they've the, the paying customers have gone home more often than not recently at Rogers Arena seeing the other team win. And, you know, that's uh, it gets frustrating. I think it gets frustrating for the players. You want to believe that, you know, your building is a tough place to play, but it really has not been. Uh, for opponents, you know, they come to town and everybody seems to leave with some sort of parting gift in the you know, in the way of points in the standings. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get out of here, I, I just want to give a tip of the cap to Patrice Bergeron and the illustrious career that he had. Of course, you know, being a Boston Bruin doesn't really uh, favor him well in this town. But just when you look at a player like him and just sort of reflect on everything, like the point totals don't jump off the page. But I'm wondering, like, is there a legit argument that he's a top 20 player all time? I, I, I think he's top 50. I, I think that is, is, you put that in with a Sharpie, not pencil. But is there a legit argument that Patrice Bergeron in his six Selkie Awards, the most ever, is he a top 20 player? Boy, it's, it's so hard to, you know, make that assessment because do you factor goaltenders in? Do you, like, you know... It, Easily one of, if not the best defensive forward of all time and two-way guy. But boy, top 20, like when we're talking about like the greats of the great, um, you know, universally respected, which rarely happens. Uh, I think even begrudgingly Vancouver fans for the most part. Um, and Vancouver is a huge part of the Patrice Bergeron story. Like not just winning a Stanley Cup in 2011, he opened the scoring in Game 7. He scored a shorthanded goal in, later in that game that ultimately sealed the deal at 3 nothing, There was no way. I mean, Canucks didn't score many goals in that series. They probably weren't coming back from one nothing. But but at 3 nothing, that game was done. 
So he wins the Stanley Cup. Now, he wasn't the captains, and then Chara was, but he did get his hands on the cup there. But a year earlier, he was part of Team Canada that struck gold in the Olympics. So two of his greatest moments in hockey both came on the ice in the same building, although it had different names, Canada Hockey Place and, uh, and then Rogers Arena. Um, but I think most Canuck fans would be willing to let their guard down for a moment and just, you know, echo your tip of the cap to a guy that played the game the right way, was so universally respected. I'd love to see the NHL reach out to him right away and find a, a front office job for him. Now, I don't know what his plans are uh, in the aftermath. He's got four young kids. Um, you know, he may just want to take some time away. The Bruins may have a place for him in their front office. But boy, if the NHL was trying to find, like, you know, somebody that was revered, respected, current, all those types of things, like, I, I'd love to think that there was a place in the governance of the game for a guy like Patrice Bergeron. So, yeah, incredible career. Uh, I saw an argument that was going around on social media after the announcement, and that was that, you know, he was somehow a, a, a disappointment come playoff time. And ultimately, he won one Stanley Cup. He got to two other finals. So in the Stanley Cup final itself, you know, the Bruins only went one and two, they lost a Game 7 on home ice to St. Louis, so even though they won a Game 7 on the road, they did lose a Game 7. And this past spring, you know, the greatest regular season all time gets flushed because they lost that. So I, I understand where people are coming from, but getting to three Stanley Cup finals, like, that takes, you know, some work. So, yes, they, you know, would his, would his legacy be a little bit different if he had got a second Stanley Cup? Perhaps, but... He's not going to have to worry about his legacy. His legacy is cemented as just, you know, uh, just a, a pure player through and through. Uh, a guy that was up for the big games, that came through in the big games, played the game the right way. And ultimately, even in his final season, you know, he wins back-to-back Selkies at the end of his career. He was 61% in the face-off circle. He was the only guy in the NHL that won 1,000 face-offs last season. So, you know, he was busy, he was dominant and still getting it done, even at the age of 38. Some facts that you had already put out there about uh, Patrice Bergeron. Of course, he, that was the game-winning goal in Game 7 of the uh, 2011 uh, Stanley Cup Final there. Uh, All-time against the Canucks in regular season play, 25 games played, 20 points, a one-game-winning goal. He had five points uh, in that 2011 Stanley Cup Final. Also, Ryan Kessler taken 23rd overall in the 2003 draft, where he went 45th overall uh, to the Boston Bruins. How's this for a fun fact? Jeremy Colleton went 13 picks after Bergeron in the 2003 draft. And of course, uh, a different sort of routes to the NHL uh, those two t- took. But uh, Jeremy Colleton, yeah, in that draft as well. You're, you're asking about top 20 all time. I, I, I think it would be fair to say right here, right now. Yeah. That Patrice Bergeron is the greatest second round draft choice in NHL history. Well, that I'd have to look up. Who else stands out from second rounders? And then people will bring up guys like Datsuk went later and all that. I'm just talking about guys that were actually selected in the second round. I think it'd be pretty hard to beat uh, what Patrice Bergeron put up. I was looking through that uh, draft and uh, I noticed that uh, Shea Weber was also in that second round of that draft as well. Well, so. that 2003 draft is just ridiculous. I mean, the second round is producing guys that are, you know, among the greats in the game. And that first round, there are still, I think, six or seven guys that are still playing in the National Hockey League from that 03 uh, draft. So just an incredible, one of the all-time great drafts yep. without a doubt. 33rd overall, Canuck great, Louis Erickson. For the Dallas. <laughs> so he, I, I don't think he's going to be one of the uh, greatest second round picks of all time. No. 
This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Bye. Bye.